It's time for our end of the chapter review and on chapter 12 contracts we want to go through some of the essential points from the course that you need to be sure to know. Now hopefully you have your book printed out. You have it in front of you with a highlighter and a pencil or a pen and you can begin taking some notes as we go through this review. Uh, the statute of frauds that requires all contracts to be enforceable must be in writing. Contracts need to be in writing. And that is called the statute of frauds. Now, one of the things about passing the real estate exam is understanding and knowing the terminology because they love to use terminology with the questions. And so statute of limitations has to do or refers to a time period. In other words, if the statute of limitations runs out, it means the time period for filing that lawsuit or that legal action has expired. The statute of frauds, you need to remember, requires that all real estate contracts must be in writing. So make sure you understand the difference between those two definitions. Now, contracts can either be verbal or written. Uh, so, you know, most real estate contracts, again, for the statute of frauds, requires all real estate contracts to be in writing. But you could have a verbal contract in some examples, as we will discuss and go through. We talk about express contracts versus implied contracts. Remember expressed agency agreements and implied agency. Uh, ostensible agency means through your actions. The person believed you were their agent. Well, you can have an implied contract as well. If, if you use the drive-up window to place an order at a fast food restaurant, your actions, your conduct, all of that indicate that you plan to pay for the food when you get to the window, right? So know that contracts can be expressed or implied, and contracts can also be what are called bilateral or unilateral. Now, as we note here in the textbook, a bilateral contract right here is a good example of a sales contract. I promise to sell my property to you if you promise to buy it. Um, notice that only the first party who makes the promise is bound by the contract. The other party to the contract makes no promises whatsoever. So that would be a bilateral contract. Now, a unilateral contract, on the other hand, only carries one promise. A reward is a good example of a unilateral contract. If you can find my lost dog, I'll pay you a reward. So notice that only the first party who makes the promise is bound by the contract. Now, contracts can be executed or executory, what we mean by an executory position. And really, all you need to do, again, I want you to I keep going over this throughout the, the course, but passing this exam is understanding and knowing the terminology. An executed contract, it's finished, it's executed, it's all done. An executory contract, there's something lacking. Something still needs to be done or finished. So 
understand or know that look at those specific examples and then we talk about contracts that can either be valid they could be void voidable or unenforceable so we have some examples for you down below here a valid contract naturally it meets all the essential elements of a legal contract a void contract has no legal effect whatsoever usually if it's violating the law the contracts void it you couldn't have something that um, is is a contract that is void. I saw a question on the exam uh, similar to this when we have the opportunity to look at the exam periodically, but um, a seller had a clause in a deed that said you couldn't sell the property to a certain people of a particular type of race. Well, naturally, that's a void contract or a um, you know wouldn't wouldn't be enforceable I can't remember if it was on that specific topic or if it had something to do with you could never sell the property but understand that a void contract is a contract with no legal effect and then you have what is called a voidable contract where everything appears to be valid but in essence it's not and a good example of that is usually for example, a miner who's involved in a real estate transaction and so or or someone who maybe um, has a situation where um, you know they have the opportunity to void the contract. It could be voidable because they're an injured party. And I give you an example right here uh, about a miner who's in that situation. Now, you need to remember only the party with a disability could, Void the transaction. In this case, the miner like to they like to have that question on the exam. And an unenforceable contract might appear to be valid, but it's not. Again, a verbal listing contract would be an unenforceable contract in Missouri because all listing agreements in Missouri must be what in writing. Good job. We talk about the essential elements of a contract. You need to know what those are. Offer and acceptance, consideration, competent or of legal capacity, 18 years of age or older, must be for a legal purpose, and of course no undue influence. I can't be forcing you to purchase the property. Again, more terminology down here. You need to know what an assignment is. You need to know about novation and substitution are very um, sometimes seen on the exam. And you have the information right there in your, in your notes. Um, know what the parole evidence rule is right down here. It states that all written agreements will be enforced with the contract. Any verbal arrangements you make outside the contract will not be enforceable. So that I have seen that question before in the past. I would definitely make sure you know what that is. You also want to um, remember that time is of the essence. Subrogation is the substitution of a third party right there. Subrogation, a lot of times insurance companies use that. So when they pay you off for your claim, they may want to then be able to subrogate or substitute themselves into your position so they can go after and try to collect their money from someone else if there's a, a violation in that respect. So um, 
I would know the terminologies there. Um, you know, we have some examples here of what happens if somebody defaults on the contract, and you can see some of the uh, options that are available. And then options, again, you probably will see maybe a question or two on options. You need to know optionor, sellor. Option E is buying. So make sure you know what an option is. Now, it's important for you to understand that if I give you an option to purchase property from me over a six-month period of time, that doesn't mean you have to purchase the property. You have six months to try to buy that property. You could even try to renegotiate the price with me, and I could say, no, I'm not going to take any less than the amount I told you, but you, um, you, the option's enforceable by only one party, and that's you, the option E, the person who's buying, okay? So what does the seller, the optioner, do if the buyer won't buy during the speci uh, specified time period? I get to keep your down payment. I can't force you to buy it. It's just an option to buy. So in essence, the seller must sell, but the buyer does not have to buy. But understand what an option is. And then we talk about installment contracts. Sometimes they call that a contract for deed. Sometimes it's called a land contract. So understand contract for deed, land contract, installment contract, they all mean the same thing. Now, notice this last paragraph here. The seller holds legal title. If you went to the courthouse, everything you see regarding that property will be in the seller's name. The buyer holds what we call this equitable title. It's only a right to get the title when all of the payments have been made. Now, under an installment contract, remember contract for deed, land contract, they all mean the same thing. The seller is referred to as the vendor. That's interesting. Remember, option or seller, vendor, seller, and here we have vendee is buying. So that's how I like to try to remember those, okay? Contract for deeds, installment contracts, land contracts. It's a very risky situation for the buyer because if you're the buyer and you're making all of these payments to the seller, and the seller has a mortgage and they just pocket the money and do not pay their mortgage, what will the bank eventually do? They'll foreclose on the property and take it back. In that case, the, um, you know, if that happens, basically the buyer is going to lose all of their money because the bank forecloses on the property, takes it away from the seller. The sellers, you've been paying all this money. Maybe you've even done a lot of improvements, but you're going to lose everything. Why? Because the seller still holds legal title. And when they, if you go to the courthouse, it's in their name. So if they have a loan and they don't make payments and you've been making improvements and making your payments every month, it's a very, very risky situation for the buyer. can even be a problem for the seller, but really a, a, a situation 
that the buyer needs to pay that off and get that property in their name as soon as possible. So again, for land contracts, installment contracts, contract for deeds, who has possession of the real estate? The buyer. Who pays the principal and interest payments? The buyers. Now that doesn't mean the seller may not have also a principal and interest payment on a separate mortgage over here. Who pays taxes and insurance? The buyer. Who runs the greatest risk? The buyer. And when do they get the deed to the property? When all the payments have been made. So understand contract for deeds can have some liability for the buyer. It can be a, a kind of a, a tricky situation. Don't forget to go over your definitions, uh, the review, the flashcards, very important. You are going to take a review exam right now. Good luck on that. Once you pass that with a 75% passing rate, you can then move over to Chapter 13, and I will see you over there.